Section 9 of Baled Hay by Bill Nye. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Congratulatory. I cannot close this letter without writing my congratulations to Mr. Raymond of Tribune upon the position of notary public which he has secured. True merit cannot long go unrewarded. I, too, am a notary public. So is Patterson of the Georgetown Minor. And yet we were all once poor boys, unknown and unrecognized. Patterson was the son of a wealthy editor in Michigan who wished Snicktow to be a minister of the everlasting gospel. But Snick knew that he was destined to enter upon a wider and more important field. He devoted himself to the study of profanity in all its various branches, until now he can swear more men and do a bigger so-help-me-God business than any other go-as-you-please affidavit man in Colorado. I have held my office through a part of the administration of Grant, and all of Hayes' administration so far, and all through the countless political changes of the territorial administration. I state this with a pardonable pride. It shows it was not the result of political influence or party, but was the natural outgrowth of official rectitude and just dealing toward all. When a man comes before me to make affidavit or to acknowledge a deed, I recognize no party, no friend. They are all served alike and charged alike. I was appointed to this high official position under the administration of Governor Thayer. At that time, C.O.D. French was secretary. I had to lubricate the wheels of government before I could catch on, as it were. C.O.D. French wanted five dollars. I sent it to him. I wrote him that when the people seemed determined to foist upon me the high official honor of notary public, the paltry sum of five dollars should not stand in the way. I have held the position ever since. Political enemies have endeavored to tear to pieces my record, both officially and socially, but through evil and good report, I have still held it. The nation today looks to her notary's public for her crowning glory and successful future. In their hands rest the might and the grandeur of the glory which, like a halo, in the years to come will encircle the brow of Columbia. I feel the responsibility that rests upon me, and I tremble with the mighty weight of weal or woe for a great nation which hangs upon my every official act. I presume Mr. Raymond feels the same way. He ought, certainly, for the eyes of a great republic, watch us with feverish anxiety. It is an awful position to be placed in. Let those who tread the lower walks of life envy not the brain and nerve-destroying position of the notary public, whose every movement is portentous, and great with its burden of good or ill for nations unborn. That is what is making an old man of me before my time, and sprinkling my strawberry blonde hair with gray. The agony is over. It has occurred to us that the destruction of timber near the Continental Divide in Colorado which is also called the backbone of the continent, will naturally be a severe blow to the lumber region of Colorado. We began studying this joke last summer, and have wrestled prayerfully with it ever since, with the above result. 
Do not think, O oh gay, light-hearted reader, that these jokes are spontaneous and that mirth is pumped out of the recesses of the editor's brain as a grocer pumps coal out of a tin tank. They come with fasting and sadness and vexation of spirit and groanings that cannot be uttered and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that we are over this joke safely, no doubt that we shall begin to flesh up again. Ostrich Cavalry The question of mounting the United States Cavalry upon ostriches, as a matter of economy, is being agitated on the strength of their easy propagation in Arizona and New Mexico. There being now 117 of these birds in that region, the result of the increase from nine of them imported several years ago. However successful ostrich farming may be in and of itself, we cannot speak too highly of the feasibility of using the bird for cavalry purposes. It is an established fact that the ostrich is very swift and will live for days without food and be very irviceable all the time. A detachment of ostrich cavalry could light out across the enemy's country like the wind, and easily distance an equal force mounted upon horses, and after several days' march, instead of a weary, worn, and jaded-out lot of horses, there would be a flock of ostriches, hungry but in good spirits, and the quartermasters could issue some empty bottles— and some sardine boxes, and some government socks, and an old blue overcoat or two, and the irons from an old ambulance, to each bird. And at evening, while the white tents were glimmering in the twilight, the birds could lie in a little knot, chewing their cud constantly, and snoring in a subdued way that would shake the earth for miles around. One great difficulty would be to keep a sufficient guard around the arms and ammunition to prevent the cavalry from eating them up. Think of a half-dozen ostriches breaking into an enclosure while the guard was asleep or off-duty, and devouring fifteen or twenty rounds of ammunition in one night, or stealing into the place where the artillery was encamped, and filling themselves up with shells and round-shot, and Greek fire and gatling-guns. An Electric Belt A Cheyenne man was once mildly struck by lightning calls it an electric belt. The Annual Whale As usual, the regular fall whale of the eastern press on the Indian question, charging that the Indians never committed any depredations unless grossly abused, has arrived. We are unpacking it this morning and marking the price on it. Some of it is manifold and the remainder an ordinary telegraph paper. It will be closed out very cheap. Parties wishing to supply boarding schools with essays and compositions cannot do better than to apply at once. We are selling Boston lots with large brass-mounted words at two and three cents per pound. Every package draws a prize of a two-pound can of baked beans. If large orders are received from any one person, we will set up the whale and start it to running, free of cost." may be attached to any newspaper in a few minutes, and the merest child can readily understand it. It is very simple. But it is not as simple as the tallowy poultice on the average eastern paper who grinds them out at four dollars per week, and found. 
We also have some old whales, two or three years old, and older, that have never been used, which we will sell very low. Old Sioux whales, Modoc whales, etc., etc. They do not seem to meet with a ready sale in the West, and we rather suspect this because we are too near the scene of the Indian troubles. Parties who have been shot at, scalped, or had their wives and children massacred by the Indians do not buy eastern whales. Eastern whales are meant for the eastern market, and if we can get this old stock off our hands, we will hereafter treat the Indian question in our plain, matter-of-fact way. The namby-pamby style of Indian editorial and molasses candy gush that New Englanders are now taking in makes us tired. Life is too short. It is but a span. Only as a tale that has been told. Just like the coming of a guest who gets his meal ticket punched, grabs a toothpick, and skins out. Then why do we fool away the golden years that the Creator has given us for mental improvement and spiritual elevation in trying to fill up the enlightened masses with an inferior article of taffy? Every man who knows enough to feed himself out of a maple trough knows, or ought to know, that the Indian is treacherous, dishonest, diabolical, and devilish in the extreme, and that he is only waiting the opportunity to spread out a little juvenile hell over the fair face of nature if you give him one-sixteenth of a chance. He will wear pants and comb his hair, and pray and be a class leader at the agency for fifty-nine years, if he knows that in the summer of the sixtieth year, he can murder a few Colorado settlers and beat out the brains of the industrious farmers. Industry is the foe of the red man. He is a warrior. He has royal blood in his veins, and the vermin of the Montezuma's dance, the German over his filthy carcass. That's the kind of hairpin he is. He never works. Nobody but Chinamen and plebeians ever work. He was not a burglar. The young man who was seen climbing in a window on Center Street yesterday was not a burglar as some might suppose, but on the contrary he was a man whose wife had left the keys to the house lying on the mantel and locked them in by means of a spring lock on the front door. He did not climb in the window because he preferred that way, but because the door unlocked better from the inside. End of Section 9